Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihi sayyidina muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa ba'd Alhamdulillah we reached this Mubarak fifth night of Ramadan Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us from its barakat and from its rahmat We've reached the midpoint of the first ashara characterized by rahmah May Allah ta'ala give us mercy um, Those mercies that we ask for and those that we don't even know to ask for May Allah preserve those mercies that we know that we have and those uh, Mercies in great number that we will never know about, but Allah was there for us, Ar Rahman Ar Rahim, uh, to give uh, them to us and to drown us in them. Uh, may He be praised for all of the above. Uh, such a praise that ultimately He's the only one who knows the true extent of His praiseworthiness. Uh, so we continue uh, today, uh, starting with the biography of the Sheikh Saifuddin Bakharzi. Uh, we mentioned him a couple of times when talking about the Sheikh Najmuddin Kubra. Uh, and in many ways, his story uh, starts off uh, within the story of Sheikh Najmuddin Kubra. Uh, Mullah Jami, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions w- with regards to the Sheikh Najmuddin that uh, he was a, uh, a Wali Tarash. People used to call him Wali Tarash. Uh, the one who carves or chisels uh, or manufactures uh, saints. Why? Uh, uh, he says, That he was such a person because of the intense, uh, intense state of uh, spirituality inside of him that when he would cast his glance on somebody, that person would become uh, uh, themselves a person of sainthood. It said that people would wander into the Khanqa. Um, Mullah Jami mentions a businessman from some foreign land uh, when just kind of looking around in Khurazam, uh, wandered into the Khanqa and uh, the Shaykh Najmuddin asked him, uh, you know, what are you here for? He said, I'm just, I'm just wandering around trying to see what's going on in the city. He says, where are you from? He says, I'm from such and such land. And uh, he basically sat him down and told him that you're going to bring people to Allah in your land. And he sent him back and that person became a sheikh of his people. Uh, another interesting story about Najmuddin Kubra's uh, Wali Tarashlik, uh, if you will, his Wali, wali Tarashin abilities, um, was that once when the disciples were sitting, Mullah Jami mentions that uh, they were sitting listening to a discourse um, and while it was happening, a, a hawk attacked a sparrow. And the sheikh noticed and he canst, cast his glance on the sparrow. And the sparrow turned around and attacked the hawk uh, until it subdued it. Um, and these are things that are obviously not normal. They're obviously not normal. Now, this uh, Wali Tarash idea, the idea someone can look at somebody and turn them into a saint. Uh, this is Thabit uh, in the deen. Uh, by the concept of the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's Mubarak and other turning uh, a person into one of his companions. Uh, that one glance uh, gave the companions a maqam that a lifetime of prayer and fasting and treasuries full of sadaqah could, uh, and zakat could never do for any of us. And uh, it was also something that was transmitted to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that those people who accepted the deen and made good on their deen uh, uh, from them became the tabi'een and the tabi'een. Uh, 
so this is something Thabit and Dean. This is not Tall Tale. However, whoever claims that they have this power and this ability is usually a fraud, and he's selling you something, and he's trying to basically make some sort of economic or personal or political gain from the simple-minded. Why? Because a wali is a wali tarash, and uh, wilaya has to do with spending your entire life uh, in every single breath uh, with your himma being focused, your complete uh, power and your complete uh, aspiration being focused on pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every uh, every breath of yours and everything you do. Uh, and it's not in uh, making a show of, uh, you know, stupid wali tricks or whatever, uh, that how, how can you do this supernatural thing or the other one. So it did exist, but people who are uh, making claims about themselves usually are a bunch of jokers, and I recommend you stay away from them. Uh, worst, uh, you know, tell them to show you the trick first, and then uh, you know, see, uh, see how uh, how it goes. Uh, at any rate, Sheikh Najmuddin, you can hear about this Bakharzi and see uh, was he a wali of Allah Taala or not, and evaluate whether the claim Mullah Jami makes about him is uh, appropriate or not. Uh, so we. Uh, shift to we shift to another source which is Zahabi's entry on uh, Saifuddin Bakharzi um, he mentions that uh, he's born in Bakharz which is a village somewhere between Herat and Nishapur Herat being in the western part of Afghanistan and uh, Nishapur being in the Khurasan province of the modern state of Iran um, uh, in the eastern part uh, this is the same area that Imam Ghazali rahimahullah ta'ala, and a number of other great mashayikh of the sunnah were from. And it was a place that uh, was mentioned by the Prophet wasallam as well um, in a number of athar ascribed to him that uh, he was born in Khurasan in a place between uh, Nishapur where Imam Muslim is from and uh, Herat uh, where a number of other mashayikh were from. And uh, that he made hajj when he was young and that he spent 11 years in his youth in Baghdad, uh, and he spent that time in study, um, that uh, it's said that he heard from uh, Ibn al-Jawzi, the great Hanbali, faqih and muhaddith, and uh, great reviver of the deen in his age uh, in Iraq. And it's said that he also read from uh, Shihabuddin Suhrwardi, Sahib al-Awarif, the great Sufi Sheikh, not the Shihabuddin uh, Suhrwardi Maqtul, who is a person who shares the same nisba and the same uh, uh, laqab, uh, but, uh, but was a very different person. And uh, you can contact me more if you're interested in the tahqiq about that, but it's somewhat of a, an aside. It said that uh, he traveled to Khurasan and he studied the Hidayah, uh, the same Hidayah that we uh, read in Madrasa nowadays, the master book of Hanafi fiqh that uh, you know gives the different differences of opinion on different masail and the legal reasonings that underpin all of them. That he read the Hidayah despite being a, a Shafi'i in fiqh like his Sheikh Najmuddin Kubra and an Athari in his methodology. That he read the Hidayah from Jalaluddin, the son of Burhanuddin Marghinani, the author of the Hidayah, he read it directly from uh, the author's son himself. And uh, um, that before the events uh, happened um, with regards to the Shahadat and the martyrdom of Najmuddin Kubra, that uh, Bakharzi came to 
Khurazm and he took the tariqah from Najmuddin Kubra and he also uh, studied from him. Uh, and uh, the Habi mentions that he's a hafiz of hadith, um, that he uh, is a master, he reached the master level of hadith. And the Habi doesn't give out these, uh, uh, he doesn't give out these uh, titles easily or f- for free. Uh, but he actually attained a great uh, station in hadith and he attributes to him the revival of the study of hadith in his age uh, in the tra- Transaxonian lands. And it's said that he, so he learns hadith from Najmuddin Kubra, but he also um, takes the tariqah from him. And there's a couple of stories Mullah Jami mentions with regards to how fervent he was in his, uh, in his discipleship. Um, that uh, once he was sitting in the khalwa, and uh, uh, the khalwa is what is like a spiritual retreat. It's also it's not a baseless thing. It's a practice of the Sufis that, that you sit in isolation and you make the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala and you do these spiritual exercises and you don't talk to people. You don't meet with people. You don't go outside. You eat as little as uh, possible just to keep yourself alive. You sleep as little as possible and you spend all of your your himma and your, 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 your focus, your energy and your strength on uh, your spiritual exercises, the worship of Allah Ta'ala and uh, in straightening out yourself in order to uh, make the nafs uh, subdued so that the light of the ruh can, can emerge and uh, you can benefit from it. And this is again, not a completely baseless uh, practice. The Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam gave this ummah the institution of i'tikaf, which is just around the corner, which we've, by the way, completely like uh, plowed over uh, like a snow plow uh, that uh, kicks a rock up and uh, it breaks your car's windshield, which has happened to me before. Um, what what i'tikaf is nowadays, you make friends and, uh, uh, you know, have a great time of your life or whatever. Uh, that's fine. You can do all those things, but that's not. That's kind of not what i'tikaf is supposed to be. I'tikaf is supposed to be a person sitting in the masjid in isolation and not talking people. Um, if someone says salamu alaikum to you, you say wa alaikum salam, but you don't start the salam to people. And uh, you basically sit in your hujra, you know, or your akhbiya uh, uh, in your tents or whatever, and you do one of four things. You read the Quran or you make dua or you make the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala or you pray. Everything else is done like the way a person goes to the bathroom. You do it the bare minimum that you have to. That includes sleeping, that includes eating uh, and the like. And so, uh, you know, the khalwa, uh, even though we've made the i'tikaf even not like that anymore, the khalwa was a specialized type of i'tikaf that the the disciples would uh, take in order to uh, hone and strengthen their their spiritual uh, their spiritual abilities. So once uh, Bakharzi was sitting in the khalwa, and uh, um, the sheikh uh, uh, came and saw uh, his fervent uh, and intense. Uh, preoccupation with his spiritual exercises and how difficult it was on him. And he exclaimed, Ay Saifuddin, uh, O Saifuddin, Manam Ashik Maragam Sazwar Ast, Tu Mashuki Tara Bagamche Kara Ast. He says that I'm a, a lover and for me it's acceptable to constantly be brokenhearted. But you're a beloved one. You have no need for uh, you have no need for being brokenhearted. What need have you for being brokenhearted? And this was a high praise from the Sheikh. Why? Because this is a discussion in the books of the Sufis that what is better? Is it better to be a lover of Allah or beloved of Allah? And uh, 
you know, both are good, but, and both, you know, they're not mutually exclusive of one another. A person can be both at the same time. Allah Ta'ala make us of uh, those people. But the superior maqam is that of being beloved. The Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the secret is in his name, is that he's Muhammad, not Muhammad. Even though he is Muhammad, he is the one who intensely praises Allah Ta'ala, but he's the one who is also intensely praised. And uh, um, the Shaykh Ali Hajwari in the Kashf al-Mahjub, he mentions, which a number of the Sufi'i Kiram also mentioned, from the Fadail of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his, his merits uh, and his virtues. Is that Allah Ta'ala, when He described Sayyidina Dawud alayhi salam in the Quran, He described him as وَقَتَلَ دَاوُدُ Jaluta that David slew Goliath alayhi salam. Uh, but when it mentions the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam's exploits in battle, وَمَا رَمَيْتَ إِذَا رَمَيْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَهِ That uh, you didn't throw when you threw. It's a reference to the battle of Hunayn that you didn't throw when you threw, rather Allah is the one who threw. Meaning that Allah Ta'ala attributed the Rasul Sallallahu actions to himself and the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was the passive uh, madhar of those actions. They passed over him, rather the actions were attributed to Allah Ta'ala, which is the highest attribution a person can make. Um, and so he, he, he says that you have this ma'shuqiyat inside of you, that, that you're beloved. And uh, it was a sign of many things to come. There's another story that Mullah Jami mentions. Uh, uh, and I'll spare you my like really horrible Persian reading skills, which probably makes uh, Afghans and Tajiks and Iranians, etc. cringe. Um, but, uh, you know, we're trying our best here. Um, which is that once there was a wedding party that came through their part of Khurazm, and the murids, the disciples were, mashallah, all engaged in their uh, fervent uh, exercises, spiritual exercises in order to hone and train the nafs. Um, it's an understanding that you have to train the nafs in order, or train the, 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 the soul and the spirit in order to subdue the nafs and in order to allow the, the ruh to rise and benefit from its light and from its insight and from, from its strength and its connection to the higher realm. Uh, however, you cannot subdue the nafs so much that you kill it because with the death of the nafs, you, I mean, you just die. You're, you're, that's it. Your vital uh, functions cease. And so the nafs has to be broken like a horse, uh, trained like a horse or like a dog. Um, you don't break a horse by killing it or train a dog by killing it. Uh, there may be some difficulty involved, but you, the point is not to kill it. It's to train it. And so when this wedding party came, the Sheikh uh, Najmuddin Kubra, he saw this is a great opportunity to give the uh, disciples a rest from their hard spiritual exercises. And so he, uh, he gave them all the order that all of you in this night uh, go. Uh, you have a break from your mujahadat, uh, from your, your spiritual struggles, and uh, go and spend the night um, making yourself happy and enjoying any enjoyment that you want to, as long as it's not haram, as long as it's not haram. And so it was basically like the spiritual equivalent of a cheat day, like someone's on, on a diet or whatever. They have a cheat day that they eat carbs, whatever, once a month or once a week or whatever. So that was their cheat day that as long as you're not, you know, indulging in something haram, go ahead and, uh, go ahead and relax your nafs and then you can come back for your mujahadat tomorrow. And so what happens is around Fajr time in the morning, the Sheikh comes to the Khanqah and he sees, uh, uh, he sees Bakharzi uh, uh, engaged in his devotions and uh, in his services and uh, cleaning the Khanqah and whatnot while um, in, in his acts of worship. And he asks him, he says, Saifuddin, didn't I tell you 
to to spend this night um, in whatever halal and, and uh, lawful lazat uh, enjoyment huzur uh, uh, and whatever thing that makes your uh, your you know your yourself happy. Um, didn't I didn't I order you to do that? What's what's wrong with you that you're you're still here in the khanqa, you know, in your exercises? And Sayfuddin replied to him uh, in all honesty that uh, 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 you said that whoever you know uh, you know whoever hears this order should go and enjoy themselves and uh, should do whatever makes them happy. And he says, "What I enjoy." is uh, nothing but staying in this khanqa uh, and being ready uh, for the service of my sheikh and uh, engaging myself uh, in, in my acts of devotion. But these are the things that genuinely make me happy. And uh, um, when hearing that, the sheikh was genuinely pleased and he said to him, Basharat uh, Abad, uh, that uh, may you take uh, uh, glad tidings that the kings will, will will come to your feet one day, and um, this is essentially a a prognostication about the future that comes true uh, with regards to the uh, Sheikh uh, Saifuddin Bakharzi. That uh, when, like we mentioned in yesterday's uh, majlis, the Sheikh Najmuddin Kubra ordered those from out of town to go back to leave. Um, he ordered uh, the Seif, Sheikh Saifuddin, who wasn't from Khurazm, uh, to go back to uh, Khurasan, uh, 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 I guess you could call it Sis Oxiana, um, the, the, sub, the land south of the Amudarya. And um, he basically uh, said, stick with the Sheikh Saaduddin. Uh, um, and the two of them took care of one another. But he also gave him the instruction that I want you to keep on your radar and to keep concern for the lands of Transoxiana, that when they're garbaged and trashed by the Mongols, that they shouldn't be completely lost to the Ummah, that you should do some service in those places when you're able to. And so what ends up happening is that the Sheikh uh, uh, Saifuddin uh, he does that when he's first able to, after the Mongols uh, desolated and destroyed Bukhara, um, he comes back and, uh, uh, you know, does service in that place. And just to give you an idea of how bad the Mongol desolation of Bukhara was, there are no buildings from the pre-Mongol uh, uh, destruction that are still up except for two. One is the Mazar of Ismail Samani, uh, uh, the kind of like late uh, Abbasi period warlord. Um, and uh, it's a very early building. Uh, it's kind of has like a number of like almost Zoroastrian looking, early Aryan looking motifs in it. Um, and the reason they say that the Mongols didn't destroy it is because it was basically under dust. The dust of the centuries had uh, accumulated in dirt so that most of it was underground and they didn't realize how big of a building it was. It was later excavated and found to be a very large and exquisite building. But the Mongols didn't didn't know that, so they didn't know there was something there to destroy, so they just kind of passed it by. And the other was the minaret of the uh, uh, Kalan Masjid, the Friday Masjid, main Masjid of Bukhara. 
which is, is a really impressive and a really huge minaret. And they say that uh, despite destroying the masjid and uh, killing everybody in, in Bukhara, Genghis Khan liked the minaret and so he kept it for the particular purpose of using it as a watchtower because it had such a magnificent view of the lands uh, all around. as relatively flat land uh, around that area. Uh, and other than that, everything was completely destroyed. So it said that uh, Bakharzi, uh, rahimahullah ta'ala, he came to... Um, he came to Bukhara and he started to gather people. He started to speak. He started to teach. He started to gather people over there and to pray congregations over there. And that he uh, met the Sheikh Jamaluddin uh, bin Ibrahim al-Mahbubi, uh, the Muhaddith. And he uh, read Sahih Bukhari in his presence uh, uh, in Bukhara uh, in the year uh, uh, 622 Hijri. Um, which is interesting is the use of the reading of the hadith uh, of the Prophet as a, a way of gathering people um, and a way of reviving their deen and their sunnah and their knowledge and uh, also their civilization uh, quite literally and that he would hold uh, wa'ad over there he would hold uh, um, exhortations and sermons give bayans he would give the tafsir of the Quran etc etc um, so that people would come back and, and settle that place. The people from the countryside would settle that place and it wouldn't be abandoned like the other uh, desolated cities that were completely destroyed by the Mongols. And um, it was successful. People started moving back and started living there and it got to the point that, uh, uh, that, that people not only gathered there together, but they started hating on the Sheikh that there were some people who were jealous of his prominent position and the great role he played in uh, resettling Bukhara and uh, that some people uh, cast aspersions on him and about his aqidah and about his deen even though he was a muhaddith and uh, uh, he was a great defender of the sunnah um, in, 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 in many ways that uh, uh, the Ahlul Hadith found praiseworthy but uh, they found like little stuff to nitpick about him like the fact that he would pray Salatul Tasbih in, in Jama'ah the Salatul Tasbih is a, a particular form of Nafil prayer I believe in the Hanafi Madhab it's considered to be recommended um, Malik considered the, the, the narration of the prayer to be spurious but uh, he was uh, extremely exacting in these matters. But uh, it's nothing, you know, it's nothing horrible. It's something completely within the ambit of difference of, opi of opinion. But people made it a big deal in order to cast aspersions on him. Um, however, the prognostication of Sheikh Najmuddin Kubra regarding Bakharzi that the, the rulers will come to his feet, it already started coming true. Mahmoud Balwach uh, uh, was a minister um, that worked for the Mongol administration. Um, he was a Mu'tazili, uh, so not a Sunni. And uh, he was sent by uh, the Mongols to, to this new uh, uh, gathering of people who uh, took up residence in Bukhara in order to collect taxes from them. And tax collectors are not nice people. In the old days, they would harass and brutalize people so that people would pay and they would exact punishment and make examples of people who didn't pay fast enough and pay high enough amounts. So he was sent to collect a poll tax of a dinar from every person and 10% of the proceeds from trade from Bukhara. 
so not a nice person, nor uh, particularly somebody who one would think would care for the ulama of the Ahl sunnah in particular, Muhaddith. But uh, for whatever reason, Dhabi mentions that he was taken by Bakharzi's beauty, um, both physical and spiritual. And um, he, he somehow believed in the wilaya of, of Bakharzi. And so he came to him and he uh, gave him a gift of a thousand dinars, of a thousand gold coins, which is not a small amount of, uh, of, of money. And it said that Bakharzi didn't even look at it. He didn't even look at it. And, uh, um, but this was an illustration of how uh, even the Mongol administration already started for some reason or another having, uh, giving some sort of credence to him. So we mentioned that the people uh, basically uh, started to be jealous of Bakharzi and speaking ill of him. Uh, and a charlatan uh, who probably had some part to play in all of this by the name of Tarabi, um, people coalesced around him, even though he was not uh, one of the people who originally, uh, you know, started to beneficially settle Bukhara. They started to coalesce around him, and uh, he was uh, kind of like a fake sheikh. And uh, he convinced uh, his disciples that somehow he has control over an army of jinns, and he gathered them to revolt against the Mongols. And so they gathered together, and they're completely unarmed, and they, they were convinced that... Uh, 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 Tarabi, their their sheikh, uh, will summon an army of jinns to fight the Mongols, and uh, you know I don't know. I guess the jinns uh, were on strike that day, and uh, uh, the Mongols completely cut them into the ground. Uh, the Habib mentions that in an hour, seven thousand people were killed. The first of them was Tarabi himself. And uh, um, some of his more fanatical uh, disciples said, "No, he must have flown away. You know, he must not have, he must not have been killed, uh, because they're in disbelief. As uh, you know, cult members are often in disbelief when uh, their cult leaders uh, fail to live up to their uh, promises that they f- most fervently believed, without basis. And it said that from the inhabitants, new inhabitants of Bukhara, nobody survived uh, this." second destruction of Bukhara, except for those people who Bakharzi himself uh, 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 interceded on their behalf with the Mongol administration. And even then, uh, they were branded with uh, um, hot iron on their foreheads uh, to teach them a lesson because this is almost a miracle of Bakharzi that they even let them survive in the first place. The Mongols did not take kindly to rebellion or to people not uh, following their orders, and they usually only had one punishment for any of that, which was death. Uh, uh, but uh, 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 what happened was that, uh, uh, that, that it became famous that this man was now respected by them. Well, some of the uh, kind of hater kafirs of that era... Um, they started spreading whisperings about this guy in in uh, uh, in Bukhara who has some sort of control over the local administration, uh, Mongol administration over there, and that he secretly harbors designs of overthrowing the Mongol state and himself making himself into the new Khalifa. And so these whisperings were uh, uh, said to Baiku, uh, who was the leader of the uh, Great Khan or the brother of the Great Khan at that time who the Habi mentions and describes as Zalim and Rashim and Safakan, that he was a, a tyrant and he uh, was a great spiller of blood. Uh, he says, قَتَلَ أَهْلَ تِرْمِذِ بِهِ كُلُّ مُفْسِدٍ 
فشغبوه على الباخرز وقالوا ما جاءت ما جاء إليك وهو يريد أن يصير خليفة that uh, that he killed everybody in Tirmidh. He destroyed Tirmidh so so badly that he not only killed the people, he killed the animals and the birds. And any troublemaker, any like foul person that that was around, all of them went and joined his joined his cause uh, and his army. That uh, any person who hated the Muslims, any person who hated the people, the Sunnah, uh, thieves, robbers, miscreants, all of them, you know, went to join him. And they all started egging him on against the Sheikh Bakharzi. Uh, and uh, they basically uh, said, like, you know, who does this guy think he is? And like, you know, look, he's interceding on behalf of the people of Bukhara. And he hasn't come to visit you and pay his uh, homage to you. Um, and he just wants to, you know, grow in power until uh, he becomes a Khalifa. And so um, it said that Baiku, this Mongol commander, he... Um, he ordered that the Sheikh Bakharzi be dragged to him in Samarkand in chains. And the Sheikh uh, uh, himself, when he was arrested and put in chains, he says, Izzan. He says that, watch, after this humiliation that they're putting me through, I'll, I'll, still, I'll still live to see uh, honor. And so what happened was, uh, when he came uh, close to Samarkand, uh, Baiku basically dies uh, all of a sudden. And uh, the Mongols let him go. And they think of this as uh, some sort of supernatural power that he has because they themselves were relatively um, superstitious people. And so they freed him and a number of them actually accepted uh, Islam at his hands. Uh, and so this is a good uh, time, inshallah, to uh, uh, save the rest of the uh, story about the Sheikh Saifuddin Bakharzi for tomorrow, inshallah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. Inshallah, maybe we can also make intention to sit in khalwa uh, this uh, Ramadan, um, to sit in, in i'tikaf, if not for the full 10 days, for those who are able to. May Allah accept it and give you khair and barakah. Um, but at least, you know, the minimum amount of i'tikaf in the Maliki school is from one maghrib to the next. Um, and there's no i'tikaf less than that. Although I do know that there is a difference of opinion with regards to uh, this issue amongst the different madhahib. But Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq to sit in the masjid in silence uh, with the exception of returning salams to people and with the exceptions of our prayers and our duas and our dhikr, uh, focusing only on one's relationship with them and Allah Ta'ala, allowing the nafs to starve and to be sleep deprived so that the ruh and its light can make ishraq like the sun rises over the dark horizon and illuminates uh, every single direction. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq and give us that happiness to be able to see uh, like that and strengthen our connection with the higher realm so that we don't live and die like a bunch of people who really are, are worthy of being described as descended from monkeys.